0: If you've been dreaming of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Value to Entrepreneurs podcast will help you transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. You deserve it, and it is possible. It's time for you to add value. Today's guests, I'm so excited to welcome gay and katie Hendricks.
1: gay and katie have been pioneers in the fields of body intelligence and relationship transformation for more than 40 years they've mastered ways to translate powerful concepts and life skills into experiential processes where people can discover their own body intelligence and easily integrate life-changing skills
0: katie and gay have empowered hundreds of coaches around the world to add a body intelligence perspective to enhance fields from medicine to sports psychology, education, and personal growth. Together and singly, they have authored more than 40 books, including such bestsellers as Conscious Loving, The Big Leap, Conscious Loving Ever After, How to Create Thriving Relationships at Midlife and Beyond, and The Genius Zone. They have appeared on more than 500 television and radio programs, including Oprah, 48 Hours, and others.
1: Gay and Katie... Hendricks teach a masterclass in relationships and working together. We talk about changing blame to wonder in your relationships, how to embrace feelings, experience them and allow them to flow through you. They also share how to help you find your ge- zone of genius and to nurture and grow it to be your life's purpose and passion. Gay and Katie, thank you so much for coming on our show. We're enamored by your work and love. We love all the ways that you have helped people really live out the different lives and different relationships.
0: Well, thank you. Great to be here. <laughs> so I guess our interest in having couples on our show is that we're looking for couples that find joy in living and working together. And it still seems rare that couples feel like they can have a drama free relationship <laughs> and work together as entrepreneurs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, so I think it is. It is still pretty rare, but it's getting more popular.
0: I, yeah, so I hope we so. We
3: couples courses now. We teach Ah, uh, couples courses usually once or twice a year, and so many of them now are entrepreneur couples that are working together.
0: Oh, that's so fantastic! So let's go right to the heart of it. How how do you remove the toxic energy or of blame and criticism from a relationship?
2: Ah, oh, great question. That's probably the first and most important thing that uh, makes a positive difference in your relationship. How we decided to do that was to commit to ending blame and criticism, we decided to go cold turkey that we would just create what we call a blame-free zone uh, for our relationship. And then when we found ourselves starting to criticize because it didn't just automatically end, we would stop. We would both stop and we would shift to appreciating, which is a great antidote for uh, criticism and blame, and then we we shifted to beginning to look at each other with curiosity and uh, and interest and appreciation rather than what's wrong and I of course am right. Of course, we we slipped. It took us probably what a couple of years.
3: Yeah, at least a couple of years, yeah. maybe three years or so. Uh, but you know, once we finally got to creating a blame-free zone. Like, we've lived in this house now for 20-some years, and neither one of us have said a critical word to the other this century, really. And (laughs) so... um,
2: (laughs) I like being able to say that. That's a new thing to brag about. (laughs) (laughs) In this century. uh, And one of the things that's wonderful about creating, uh, ending blame and criticism, which I also want to mention takes recommitting. So you first commit, but what really gets you there is recommitting and rather than using slipping off as an opportunity to blame again, simply recommitting. And that actually takes a lot of discipline because when you're blaming, you get that little hit of adrenaline. And uh, if you beat yourself up, you still get that little hit of adrenaline. And so shifting to the more benign nourishment of appreciation takes a little getting used to cuz we're so revved up and used to getting that adrenaline hit.
3: We also had to develop some new techniques that we didn't learn, you know. Yeah. Uh, I I had my PhD from Stanford and went through the usual deep training and everything like that and Katie did too at the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology, but there's things you can learn from your education and then things you have to learn right there in the heat of the moment. And one of the things that we learned in the heat of the moment over and over again, was there was this one move that once we got good at it, helped us end blame and criticism. And it's a pretty radical move. But once you do it, you've got a tool for life. In any situation, you have the choice between Occupying the victim position and saying to the other person, "You're the perpetrator. If you would just stop X, Y, and Z, I'd be happier." That's the basic, core, fundamental move in a lot of arguments. Of course, then the other person doesn't cheerfully go along with that <laughs> um, interpretation of the world. In fact, they often will take the exact opposite position. Yeah. And we've literally had couples in here who've been having the same basic argument for 20 or 30 years because Mm -hmm. they get stuck in blame and persecution. Who's the persecutor? Who's the victim? I'm the biggest victim. No, I'm the biggest victim. And they go around and around like that. There's only one way out. And that's to take complete, total, healthy, radical responsibility Mm -hmm. for what it is you're creating instead of pretending to be the victim mm-hmm. and so there's only two positions there's the victim position and there's the empowered position of taking responsibility for what you create and what uh we call it um hendrick's aerob- aerobics where you go from ha to hmm. mm. <laughs> like, and- ha i know what my problem <laughs> is and the problem is you and if you had yeah. just stop doing this and then i'd be happy Well. <laughs> That's the basic ha move. But then you got to go, hmm, how did I create this situation? Hmm.
2: hmm, how am I contributing? And the hmm is actually a move that we encourage people to make because when you hmm, you shift from your blame brain to your wonder brain. And that's the basic move is shifting from blame to wonder. Because it doesn't work if you stop blaming your partner and then you start blaming you. That doesn't work either. Or you blame the world. So the, hmm, what could I learn from this is is incredibly radical. And, hmm, how did I contribute to this? From a sense of curiosity rather than from a sense of blame. And that keeps the discovery going in your relationship and frees up the adrenaline energy so that you can both create the, what what you're wanting to create, and also support your partner in co-creating.
0: Oh, that's so good. You, it, it brought to mind for me um, James Allen in As a Man Thinketh, where he talks about the levels of character, and he talks about the, the man either ascends to the divine perfection or down to the level of the beast. You know, and in between the two, I see that line, and I think you guys talk about the line in conscious loving, right? Above the line you're taking responsibility, below the line you're you're a victim. Yeah. And so for me I, I thought a lot about it in the area of thinking and and character, but you're forcing me to add the idea of feelings into that. And, <laughs> and how, how are how are how is thinking and feeling differently?
3: <laughs> well, mm. when you have a thought, it's an event that occurs in a special setting. Um, and it has maybe a picture to it or a word to it. And feeling occupies a different zone in ourselves because it occupies a area where its words can describe it, but words don't do much to um, deal with it. And so you can talk about your fear all day long or talk about your anger all day long, But until you can learn to face it and feel it and love it in your own being, then it doesn't really move. And so you could say all day long, I'm not an angry person. I'm not an angry person. I'm not an angry person. But then (laughs) then something goes wrong and you realize, oh, uh, your body is an angry person. (laughs) And uh, so um, Descartes did us a disservice a few hundred Mm -hmm. years ago when he came up with the whole line between thinking and feeling. And he said, feeling is the way to go. I think, therefore I am. It doesn't have anything to do with the stuff below my neck. Yeah. Uh, But as you well know, it's often the stuff below your neck that provides some of the big drama in life as well as the extremely big fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thinking awareness is an important first step. How do you help someone be more aware of their feelings?
2: Well, the... The curiosity that we were talking about earlier when you, hmm, one of, the, one of the most common questions that we ask people is, how are you experiencing this in your body? And that allows people to make that big trip from living up here to going, hmm, what's going on here in the rest of my being? And so turning your attention to noticing actually learning how to notice yourself. I remember when I was practicing as a therapist, one of the things that people would most say to me is, I would say, you know, how are you feeling or what, you know, what's going on? And they'd say, I really don't know what I'm feeling. I have no idea what I'm feeling. And then the second thing they would say is, I know what I'm feeling, but I don't know what to do about it. And so people get confused that they think they're supposed to control their feelings and they're supposed to be able to manage them and make them go away. Whereas actually, if you turn your attention toward your feeling and you welcome that and you presence, you just being with your feelings the way you would be with a close friend. Then all of that juice from your feelings becomes available for you to enjoy life, to enjoy connecting, to solve problems more effectively. We now know, you know, unequivocally that the quickest way to change your mind is to change your body. Mm. And for 400 years, we had it backwards, or at least 400 years that. You have to change your mind and that's supposed to somehow automatically change your feelings in your body. But when you give loving attention, that's something that all of us can do and we can learn to do more and more effectively.
0: So help us, help us change our body. What's the, what's the first, what's the quickest way to, to make that shift?
3: Uh, there's two really quick ways. One is to shift into awareness of your breathing mm-hmm. and usually what helps is to take slower, deeper, easier breaths. That often puts you more in touch with your body. One of the signs of stress in the human body is short, shallow breathing. And so if you can just slow, slow your breathing down and take a little bit deeper, easier breath, that is a quick way. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, uh, some of the research we found is that um even three easy breaths is enough to begin to change the stress chemistry in your body. And so that's a starting place. Then Katie, the master movement therapist, uh, also the, the, the way to use your body Mm -hmm. to change.
2: And so in this research that Gay was just mentioning, when you take three easy connected breaths and then add to that, just changing your posture in some way, Simply changing your posture combined with breath eases the stress chemistry, but it also opens you more to listening to the wisdom of your body. Mm -hmm. And what we know now about our body wisdom is that, one, it doesn't yell at us. It's really uh, soft-spoken, and it often doesn't repeat. So if you've got a lot of uh, going on inside, you're not going to really be able to listen to the suggestions that help you make um, more effective decisions and get your timing, right. Uh, and so the combination of getting curious and then welcoming how your body is speaking to you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I was remembering one of the things I, when I first met Katie, by the way, we just had our 40th wedding anniversary a few days ago. <laughs> Thank you. When I first met Katie, Uh, She had a Charlie Brown cartoon and it it had uh, Charlie Brown is is walking along with his head hung over like this. And and Lucy says, Charlie Brown, what's going on? And he says, I'm depressed. And she says, well, for starters, why don't you try looking up and holding your head up straight? And he says... (laughs) No, because if I did that, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't be depressed anymore. And I want to be depressed.
2: That <laughs> so wouldn't get any joy out of my depression. And so it was, and this was a cartoon from many years ago, which I just love because it lets us know that when we change our relationship to our physical body, it's an avenue to changing our connection with ourselves, a connection with our feelings, our connections with others. And it also gives more fuel to our thinking. Because our thinking can only work with the material that's there. And if we just keep giving it stress signals, that's what it's going to work with and go, oh, my gosh, the world is a terrible and frightening place because that's what we keep feeding it. But if our body is saying, oh, notice how beautiful it is and I'm appreciating so much the light today and I appreciate all of the contributions that you're making to my life, then we get more juiciness for our brain to work with, with problem solving and planning and being and uh, and realizing our dreams.
0: There's two there's two really terrific things in that cartoon I think. First is recognizing the value of lifting your body up and, and that that body attention. But the truth of the number of people that want to stay in that victim role and 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 even if they're saying they're telling everybody, oh I want to change, oh I want this different, they're they're much more content to stay stay the victim.
3: Boy, is that really, um, (laughs) one time uh, I was speaking at a conference where Carl Simonton, um, the uh, cancer medical doctor, uh, was also speaking, and we had some time to hang out backstage, and I was, as I often do when I meet some person of significance, I say, what's the one thing that you've learned in your life that uh, really surprised you or in your medical practice? And he said the biggest surprise to him is he says in, in his clinic, everybody has to start with an introductory lecture. And in that lecture, they find out that they are going to need to take responsibility for their own healing by doing certain body things every day and doing meditations and doing uh, actually active participation. It's not just things that are going to be done to them. <laughs> And he said, the surprising thing is at that point, 50% of the people get up and leave. Mm. It's like clockwork, you know? Isn't that uh,
2: amazing? And and these are people with stage four.
3: Yeah, these are all terminal. I mean,
2: these are terminal diagnoses. and uh, So that people would rather die then commit to making changes in the way they treat themselves and the way they live their lives. So that was very sobering. Yeah. Uh, And it explains a lot, I think, of what's going on today. But
3: but we see it too in couples counseling sometimes. In about one out of every five cases, um, they, they just can't stop fighting with each other. They can't take responsibility. They just won't make the commitment to any kind of different change. So you know, the, maybe somebody else could help them, but there's one out of five that we don't seem to be able to help. And it's for, oh, usually for that reason that they're not willing mm-hmm. to give up being right, even for oh. 10 seconds.
0: <laughs> well, or they're addicted to the conflict, right? Like they're- Yeah.
3: Or, yeah, well, or, or, yeah. or
2: both. Yeah, because yeah it's the, part of the
0: same complex usually.
2: The, the conflict, the, what we've learned now as a society is that uh, adrenaline is incredibly addictive. It's an incredibly addictive substance. And the effect it's had on society is I've noticed that people have gotten faster and faster. Uh, you know, so for example, the five uh, g, you know the whole let five g is going to be faster, you know, so uh, and cars are going to go faster, and films are going to have more things blowing up. the The whole speediness feeds adrenaline. But what it also does is disconnect us from others, and so we're we're not getting the nutrient of connection, and trying to replace that with the juice of adrenaline, which is a short-acting, uh, non-renewable drug. You cannot replace adrenaline. Whereas if you're appreciating, you're loving yourself. That's something you can build on. You can build on breathing and opening to the flow of emotions and expressing what's going on for you. Those are things you can build on that create connection. But when people are in adrenaline, it's very hard for them to get out of that. "Ah," You know, like being on a roller
1: coaster all the time. (laughs)
3: Yeah.
1: So it reminds us of a favorite quote from The Big Leap. We need to increase our tolerance for things going well in our lives now. (laughs)
0: Yes.
3: Um, well that is the big thing isn't it to be able to tolerate things going well for longer (laughs) and longer periods of time to tolerate more and more intimacy without needing to you know mess it up in some way (laughs) so that's what I like to put people's attention on is increasing the time of feeling good and the time of feeling intimate and close and things going well Uh, I don't like people to put their attention so much on the messing up, except to just recommit and get back to uh, the goal that they're pursuing. And uh, to me, it's that ability to expand in time and
0: space. Mm, so good. So you mentioned, obviously, helping a couple feel their feelings, experience their feelings, make a commitment to um, ending blame. How, how do they take the next step of, mm. of communicating?
2: Well, the we now call this, we used to call it telling the microscopic truth. And what I like now, that's valuable, but we have so much baggage on the word truth <laughs> that I like to call this speaking from discovery. That if I'm describing what I am experiencing, that both locates me in my body and in my actual in the moment experience, and it also opens a connection with whoever i'm speaking to so that when i speak what i'm experiencing i feel more connected to me and i also feel open to giving and receiving much more than if i were saying you know i'm right about this and i'm going to criticize you or even if i'm i'm withholding and not saying what's going on because i expect that my partner's supposed to read my mind or um, they should speak first, or I do all the speaking, it's your turn now. So all of that interior dialogue. But but it's really about describing what's going on for you. And uh, if people begin to practice that, even the intention, you know, even if you're doing it awkwardly, if you have the intention to describe and connect with your partner, that has really incredible power. So you don't have to do it perfectly the intention will will really connect.
0: And how is a partner supposed to to receive? I mean, is it just a, a openness to receiving? Well that may
2: sound like a just, but it's a really big deal openness to receiving. And you know there's a lot of research about our willingness to receive is a gift to the speaker. So most people think, well, I have to share what's going on for me. That's the important thing. But if it's not being received, then you're not going to get that reciprocation and the flow of intimacy that comes from being authentic. So I like to ask people, are you willing to hear your partner's experience, you know, even though it may not be yours or what you would be saying? And and that often then opens the flow much more.
3: We teach uh, in our couples trainings. We teach a form of conscious listening where we actually break down the process of of listening into certain specific steps, and it's all in our books. It's uh, in to- our
2: books, and it's also on our. We have two websites, and there's a whole map for listening on the Foundation for Conscious dot org. Hmm. So we're doing our best to make these processes available. For people, for entrepreneurs, for coaches, for couples and partners who want to uh, have the material, but uh, you know maybe not want to come to a seminar, and so we we've done that on our website.
0: But really, I mean, obviously, it's it's taking being present to another level, right? <laughs> it's it's being aware of yourself and allowing yourself to speak all those things that you typically have bottled up or not not felt like needed to be said. Um, yes. So that-
3: so yeah, and that that's a big problem because oftentimes the very thing that needs to be said is just a tiny little mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, I remember one time working with a couple where uh, he accused her of, um, you know, flirting with this other man at a social event. <laughs> and so he was really convinced and all that, but it boiled down to, I'm afraid Mm -hmm. I'm losing you Mm -hmm. and it's always boils down to a 10 second truth Mm -hmm. that's underneath all of these complicated things we do. You know, it's I'm scared or I'm, I feel hurt about that or Mm -hmm. I feel sad or I feel hopeless about that. It's always those very simple acknowledgments of just rock bottom truths that move things through. Um, And, You know, it it almost seems like a miracle (laughs) at times when you see somebody like I, the guy often used my most extreme example was a guy who had extreme back pain Mm. for three and a half years, had had 105 uh, psychiatric, chiropractic adjustments and 100 massages. Yeah,
2: and he was about to get a fusion. He was going to get a
3: spinal fusion thing. Mm. But the, the 10 second truth that's underneath it was, I'm having an affair with my secretary for the last three and a half years. And then if his unconscious had been able to speak, he would say something like, and I need to punish myself by feeling back pain because I feel so guilty about not telling my wife about it. Now, in the meantime, over that three years, his wife had gained about 40 pounds, and that was a big drama for her and it had gotten to be a big drama in the relationship. Within a month, after his confession, she lost pretty much all the excess weight that just calmness. She said it almost felt like it fell off her. Mm-hmm. And because a person adjusting mm-hmm. to a person lying to them has a whole set of symptoms. And so uh, the form of conscious listening we teach tells people how to communicate mm-hmm. those deep rooted things in a very simple Format. So I encourage you, if you're a couple, um, go search those out. They can really be a, a big blessing to the relationship.
0: I, I was stunned in, in conscious loving the number of physical manifestations in people's bodies from the examples that you share. And. And it's incredible what the what the mind will cause for a body carrying guilt and shame,
2: Yes, uh, just whole structures, and some people would say that uh, that our various religions come out of that whole process of not being able to uh, communicate authentically, and then creating a whole structure to support that.
3: Like basically, (laughs) I'm scared of dying. Yes. Yeah. Well, and the,
0: and the power of forgiveness, right? I mean, if, yeah. if you have the opportunity to confess, forgiveness really does bring the opportunity for restoration.
3: Yeah. And there's a beautiful, um, beautiful uh, quotation from the Gospel of Thomas that I often use that says, "If you if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what is within you will destroy you. And I see that all the time in a very practical basis where, you know, people discover because of the big leap or whatever, they discover their genius zone and they shift into doing their life out of things they love to do. Mm-hmm. And they often write me to tell me of the various illnesses that have disappeared as they <laughs> right. uh, go about doing that. Um but the fact is that if we are carrying something inside a burden of shame or something we're punishing ourselves for, um, or simply something that occurred that we've never recovered from, like a grief event mm-hmm. that we're still holding on to in our bodies, it's really hard to invent a new life because mm-hmm. you're still in the sculpture of that old position that you were in when the trauma occurred. And So that's why we're so body centered in our work that we want people to break free from that. And sometimes doing the simplest little things for five or 10 minutes a day, or even sometimes five or 10 seconds can really free you from things that um, are bothering you.
0: Yeah, that's so good. This episode is sponsored by Add Value to Life Coaching and their Inner Circle Team Coaching. With a new team forming in January, limited seats are available. Apply during the month of December to be a part of this group coaching program. Add value the number two life.com. I think one of the other we love that quote from Thomas, by the way, that, that was um, one we've had conversations about. Um, the other two things I really identify with from the big leap at least are living in integrity with yourself. And then of course I love the zone of genius and exploring that. But can you share what what, what does it mean or describe what does it mean to be living in integrity with oneself?
2: ah well we've uh, been really studying that whole structure for several decades now and we've developed some uh, skills that we call the four pillars of integrity that have to do with healthy responsibility in making impeccable agreements creating conscious communication and being emotionally transparent and we consider the the definition of integrity that I really love is an unbroken wholeness or totality with nothing wanting. Mm. So integrity is really about wholeness. And when we can recover our wholeness, if it's broken, by practicing these various skills, that we call the four pillars of integrity. And they're all doable, they're not woo-woo. They are things <laughs> that you could actually take action on right now. For example, um, doing what you say you're going to do and not doing what you say you're not going to do. That's an example of one of the uh, agreement uh, skills. And so integrity allows you to live in wholeness, but also to be a presence that invites wholeness from others.
3: I give you a good example of how practical that gets. Um, I've been going to the same um, little gym to work out with my trainer three times a week for the last 10 years or so. So I've literally been more than a thousand times. And I always go at the same time, nine o'clock on Monday, Wednesday and Friday. But if I'm if I'm going to be late by even one minute, I will actually stop and text him that says I'm going to be five minutes late or whatever I need to say, Uh, because our agreement is that we started at nine o'clock. And even though we're good friends and I've been going there forever and, you know, at one level, he wouldn't care if I was five minutes late. I always to be impeccable (laughs) with my own agreements like to communicate if there's some variance with what I said I was going to do and what I'm actually going to do. Mm -hmm. So um, I go to great lengths Mm -hmm. to not have anything that I haven't, uh, not any, have anything important that I haven't said to another person. And again, if I think of something like that, I will literally sometimes pull Mm -hmm. off the road and um, get hold of the person. So it's important in life because things have speeded up and if you're operating an ox cart at two or three miles an hour, you don't need to be incredibly mindful. But, you know, the other day on the freeway, uh, some guy in a Lamborghini blew past me at hundred and something miles an hour. And if you're driving your Lamborghini at hundred miles an hour, you don't have as much tolerance for variance from integrity. You need to really uh, be in your, in the spirit of integrity. So um, I'm, I think that's one of the most important fundamental things that people can do is to make sure they have alignment also at a deeper level with your life purpose. Mm -hmm. That's one level of integrity that many people never get quite right Mm -hmm. is to figure out what it is exactly they're doing here. (laughs) Um, I don't think of life purpose as something that anybody hands you. It's something that you figure out. What is my individual contribution going to be here? What can I do from the sweet spot of what I love to do and what I Mm -hmm. would most love to uh, contribute to the world around me. So um, those are sacred things. And Mm -hmm. I think the more you can live in the simplicity of those sacred things, the more you're able to accomplish because you're not always digging yourself out of the ditch Mm. by by having to confess (laughs) things that you've been hiding and that sort of thing.
0: Well, just obviously the level of conscious awareness just for your just dealing with feelings for for oneself takes you to a whole nother level. but mm-hmm. then being able to do that in a relationship where both parties are are at that higher level of awareness of their feelings, of their own commitment to integrity and responsibility. Uh, I mean I just just imagine th- these are these are incredible relationships. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes and and they become a, an incredible beacon for their friends, their neighbors and their communities because they're they're operating in a whole different way of putting a focus on connecting and creating and supporting creativity. They're also so much more efficient. I mean one of the things we noticed is that since we don't spend any time blaming and criticizing, and we don't have to dig ourselves out of holes, that we have lots of free time for <laughs> uh, creative projects, for enjoying the beauty of our neighborhood, for really celebrating what we can contribute, but also the just the joy of life. Uh, you know, rather than getting the juice from the adrenaline and conflict, we're getting juice from from creating and being a part of creating new structures on the planet where other people can also enjoy more and more of doing what they love and connecting with others. I also wanna say that one of the big joys for me that was totally unexpected was being able to be totally unedited. Mm -hmm. It is just wonderful to be able to, uh, when something comes up to be able to say it and often now we literally have the same thought at the same time. And this has been going on now for several years where and it can be for everything from the esoteric to the practical, like we'll both say, Ooh, salad. I want salad today for lunch. <laughs> and, and no. So it is this level of, of communication that I think is the new frontier of us communicating on whole different levels than humans have had available
0: that's so good I, I I love the the increase in creativity and and just the the unedited right so many of us have spent our relationships you know editing um, you know while the other person's talking we're planning our answer planning our defense <laughs> there's there's you know, there's the combat zone where each of them are keeping score and and, and loading up with all the things that you did wrong, all the things you did wrong, and, and the security of knowing that we can share and have these conversations with with no impact on our, our relationship. I mean, mm. it's really the the ultimate level of love, right? It's our, our love is unconditional now because no matter what you say to me or what what, what things have happened, we know that we're committed to a, a higher level. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and you get there by making more and more space in Mm -hmm. yourself for your own reactions and feelings, and that automatically gives you the gift of more and more space Mm -hmm. for your partner's reactions and feelings, too. The two Mm -hmm. go hand in hand. That's so good.
2: You know, it also moves into, you know, most people's relationships and our myths about relationships are we're, we're basically trying to control each other or we have to compromise or, you know, it's kind of working things out from a sense of scarcity, that there's mm. not enough love, there's not enough attention. And when you when you really experience there's plenty of love, there's plenty of attention, it really changes the whole sense of sharing, the generosity that people feel. Because if my reservoir is full, And what I'm sharing is that you know is the overflow. That's really different than I only have a little bit, and you're asking me to give you some. So I think it changes the whole conversation of what's possible in close relationships, and not just romantic relationships. Because we found that that entrepreneurs and friendships, organizations benefit from these same principles.
0: Absolutely, a great example. My daughter. My my grandson was 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 avoiding hugging, and and my daughter says, "I'm going to take Grandpa's hug as if there was only one." And I was like, "Wait, wait! I've got I've got unlimited hugs here. We're, there's no there's no hug limit." And uh, yeah, and, and, it, and it opened up that that conversation about you know that unlimited love and the unlimited. There's there's no there's no restriction. There's no scarcity in in love. Yes.
2: That's so true, and uh, you're mentioning hugs, and that was one of the, the big, um, uh, really, deprivations of the pandemic, because we now know that mm. the 22nd hug is such a source of uh, love hormones oxytocin. and oxytocin and uh, the hormones that allow us to feel really deeply connected with others, so it's great that you're a, a source
0: of
1: unlimited hugs.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: So, can you share a little bit about exploring the zone of genius with a commitment to wonder and play?
3: Yes. <laughs> I've been doing that in half my life. <laughs> so, of course, <laughs> um, I uh, think that one of the sacred things that human beings have inside of ourselves is a, a creative zone, a zone of deep creativeness, a connection with the universe's creativeness and i call it the genius zone because you know the word genius comes from that old word about inviting the genie out of the bottle and that kind of thing and in a way you have to woo your genius is the word i use for it Um, to to treat it just like you would treat a beloved you know you you want to spend time with it, <laughs> and you want to cultivate it and you want to connect with it mm-hmm. and be more and find out what it wants in fi- order to come forward more. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that the wooing of genius is one of the sacred pacts that human beings have uh, to be ultimately happy. The people that I see being really happy on this planet are people that are engaged in the sweet spot of what they love to do, and at the same time, what makes a big contribution. Mm. And it might be a contribution through a really good soup for your family or a piece of software that millions of people use. So creativity has no boundaries or bounds to it. It's just... To me, my definition of creativity is whatever has the capacity to surprise you mm. in yourself. You know, <laughs> things you can say, wow, oh, I've never seen it that way. Mm. You know, and uh, to me, the capacity for infinite surprise is one of the things that genius has going for it. I'm just, uh, I have on the, one of my prized possessions over here on the wall. You can't see it as an autograph picture of Albert Einstein. And you mentioned wonder. Mm-hmm. In his notebooks, there's this. Thing he talks about where he wondered about a particular problem in physics every day for 27 years. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? And finally, commitment. And, right. yeah. you know,
2: committing that was, and recommitting. That was amazing.
3: By the way, I don't know if this is, I've never documented this, but somebody told me that um, toward the end of his life, somebody asked Albert Einstein um, if, if he was going to take up a different field. If he hadn't gone into physics, what would he do. And he said something about he'd study relationships. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> and, uh, never heard that one. <laughs> yeah, and, and this was a guy that wasn't particularly great. That, as a matter of fact, he, he wrote his entire autobiography without mentioning his first wife. <laughs> and so
2: uh, Who apparently contributed a lot to some of his theories, yeah. but
3: so never got recognized. So you can be a genius in some areas and really be a uh, <laughs> obtuse in other areas.
2: I also heard you um, say the word play. And I'm a real advocate for play. And one of the things that we've learned recently that uh, the research has shown us is how valuable play is. I've always thought that work gets so much more, uh, you know, in seriousness, gets so much more valuing in society than play. And recently saw some research by um, Karen Purvis, who was studying how many repetitions it takes to create a new synaptic connection in your brain. Mm. And the the research is just kind of stunning that if you're working on something, it takes uh, up to 400 repetitions. Wow. But if you're playing, mm. it takes 20. Wow. Oh, 20. So the whole act of playing, which I think of as really kind of, tossing and looking at things from another point of view and just seeing what wants to happen here. It's really kind of genius in action of letting your curiosity uh, take you in some new directions, being willing to let go of a position, but particularly favoring play. We let children do that, but we tell adults, you know, when you're grown up, you have to be serious and work hard. And it's just simply not as effective. So we really think the path of play is something that the whole culture could benefit from.
3: As a matter of fact, um, one of my favorite philosophers from 2,500 years ago, uh, Heraclitus, in his 53rd fragment says, the universe is a child at play with colored balls. That's the essence of what goes on <laughs> in the universe, as a child at play with colored balls. I love that because if you think about it, also wonder is the antidote to fear. Because if you actually wonder about something, it takes you out of that mm-hmm. zone of fear uh, about whatever it is. And you know, it could be "hmm, like I remember a fellow here who his I try to help my clients find the wonder question that's mm-hmm. underneath all of their issues they're struggling with, and he came up with this wonder question of, "hmm." Is it possible for me to experience love? Mm -hmm. You know, that was down because he Mm -hmm. didn't think he was capable Mm -hmm. of it. But you know, like most of us have to learn that love is an inside job. We can't wait around for somebody else to love us unconditionally. They may or may not, but we have to learn to love ourselves unconditionally. And then that brings forth a community of people that are happy to do that for you. But nobody likes that trying to love you if you don't love yourself it's a it's a uh, something that uh, causes toxicity in a relationship if you keep trying to do that trying to help somebody that doesn't want to help themselves and so I think the uh, the secret to a lot of this though does take it does come with taking responsibility for how you want your life to do to be and then to take action and what gets us trapped a lot of times is, being so focused on trying to control things that are not within our power to Mm -hmm. control rather than focusing on what we can do right now that would lead to a richer, better relationship with ourselves Mm -hmm. and the people around us.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Look, I'm trying to put my thoughts together, but you use, you said act, but the word that came to mind um, when Katie was talking was interact. Mm -hmm. So play, play and wonder is I'm processing it is you're interacting with what's going on but being observant and curious about how how can it be different or what can I what happens if I do it this way? Mm-hmm. And that yeah, curiosity I, and interaction.
2: I read, I was just remembering in, in college, I read this great book that was titled Put Your Mother on the Ceiling. <laughs> and to me that was such a a a description of play of y- your mother you know could be sitting in a chair but if you what if you put your mother on the ceiling how would that change and you know everything so the the sense that our world is, we are co-creating our world we're not just in this you know kind of going along a trolley car we we can co-create and create new whole new forms and whole new structures
0: Oh, that's so good all right we're gonna switch it up a little bit
1: so where do you find inspiration when you lived in Colorado
3: ah oh oh uh, lots of I spent a lot of time <laughs> walking around in the garden of the gods especially the first few years there that's in Colorado Springs it's this magnificent set of rock formations and also I've katie and I were early adopters of the mountain biking craze in the whole world and uh, so we were first couple of people to have mountain bikes and we've ridden thousands of miles probably through Colorado on our mountain bikes when we lived there. I don't know, Colorado, the one thing that just blew me away when I first stepped off the airplane there, um, I'd been living in the Bay Area for many years and I'd forgotten what real air smelled like. (laughs) 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 And uh, I got off the plane in Colorado Springs. I said, wow, my goodness, you know, and I just went around the first few days I was there <laughs> breathing and uh, <laughs> I've often said to people, I learned to breathe in Colorado. Uh, so, uh, so the physical environment there, I mean, it's just one of the most wonderful things. And also I, I got very sensitive to cold weather there. I, I just <laughs> right. got- that
2: was the other, the other side of things. So Colorado has a very high percentage of sunny days. So even though you know, it does snow there. Very often, the snow, you can have three feet of snow, and then it's gone in two days. But there was one year where it snowed about three feet, but then it didn't get above zero for three weeks. Dang it. And yeah. And then one day, we both drove sobs at that point, you know, Swedish cars. And the one morning, we couldn't get either of our cars started. And we said... <laughs> Something got to change here. So.
3: When, when you can't get a Swedish car to start, <laughs> that's time to move on. Uh, so we moved out there to California in 95. Um, Katie's folks lived in Santa Barbara where Katie grew up, and they were getting up in years. And so we wanted to be closer to them and look after them in their uh, final years, which we did. And um, so then we moved over here to our beautiful little mountain paradise uh, in the, a little mountain valley uh, called Ojai, O-J-A-I.
0: Oh, beautiful! Very nice. So, in talking about the zone of genius, and I, I love the zone of genius. I as a as an entrepreneur coach, I believe that every human being was put on this planet to serve humanity in some way, mm-hmm. and and when you can dig that out of yourself and align your passion and purpose and and genius all all together, I think it's. Obviously, it's incredible and, and you get compensated for it and, and you're serving the world. It's it's ultimate win-win, you know, for everybody,
3: mm-hmm. including
0: the planet. And so if you're an entrepreneur that's in that place, um, trying to discover their zone of genius, how, how can you help them figure out what's, what's their biggest impact that they can have?
2: Well, I would first... I would first focus on what you most love to do where time disappears and let let that be what's coming up from inside rather than looking out there. And then when you find something that you love to do, then how can you do that more and more in your day-to-day life? And then different connections that you may not ever have thought of start Emerging. I was just thinking about our neighbor here, Kate, who makes bread and how she started just making bread because she loved to make bread. And then people started finding out about it and she was selling it from her parents, you know, basically her parents' backyard. And now she's uh, going to be opening a whole restaurant here in Ojai that's going to be featuring her bread with some other folks whose genius is this particular kind of cuisine. So we're all getting to benefit from that, from her just staying in there like, how could I be expressing this more and more in the
0: world? That's so good. <laughs> yeah, I, I just love helping people explore that. So any tools that help people ask the right questions and and believe the answers <laughs> when mm-hmm. they come.
2: Yes, we, um, we have our, our coaching training programs really assist people to formulate those questions, but also be open to the universe, dropping those in when they're wondering and doing what they love to do.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So with the importance of play and fun, what was your most memorable date?
3: Memorable date? hmm um, Oh.
1: Wow, we've had, nice. golly, we've had so many. I was think our
2: most memorable.
3: I mean, we've done everything. We've ridden on the backs of elephants in Cambodia and... Uh, you know, rode on a donkey into Petra in Jordan.
2: <laughs> right. And uh, I've been in the Blue Mosque in
3: Istanbul. So um, I'll tell you though, golly. any moment I get mm-hmm. to spend with Katie, mm-hmm. I feel like the luckiest man on earth. Mm-hmm. I've literally had 40 straight years of waking up every day feeling like the luckiest man on earth just because I get to hang out with her. It doesn't matter what we're doing.
2: Mm-hmm. I would say my favorite thing to do right now is to uh, get on our electric bikes and ride around. And we may be going on errand or we, you know maybe going somewhere, but being in motion mm-hmm. next to you on an electric bike, uh, you know, because my my knees are not what they used to be <laughs> when I was riding mountain bikes, and so I just think electric bikes are one of the best inventions ever in the world. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, I love I love your example, and I love that that you guys love spending every moment together. I'm I'm blessed to have had that same relationship with this wonderful lady here, and and uh, we're we're a few years behind you, but not not a lot. We're we're going to be on thirty this year.
2: All right, so, congratulations. Yeah,
0: so thank you, and and happy fortieth. I didn't we didn't mention it. We clapped, but <laughs> um, so one of the areas I love to explore, and I'm trying to. Um, learn more about his energy and and the body's energy and obviously um you know obviously eating things and and activity play into energy but i but i think our energy is affected in in so many ways Mm -hmm. you know napoleon hill talked about the sexual desire is the strongest desire that human beings can have and you know he created that chapter on transmutation of sexual energy sexual desire and and i think most people get confused by it and and Challenged by it, but I think about the sexual energy as creative energy, and obviously, mm-hmm. it's the ultimate act of creation to to create another human being. But then, you know, obviously, her and I've created two human beings, but we've been together thirty years, and and the rest <laughs> of that energy has been spent in different ways. Um, so for me, it's it's exploring the letting go of the competitive nature and really allowing that creative nature to rise to rise up. Um, So what are your thoughts on creative energy? Well, I think that
3: creative energy is the larger thing. And it expresses itself at different places in our bodies in different ways. And one of the big ways that energy has to light up is in the sexual zone uh, because it has to keep the game going. And so uh, (laughs) primarily (laughs) without the game, there's nothing uh, going on. And so um, but it's the same energy, whether you're talking about down in the pelvis or in the belly or in the heart, it just expresses itself in different ways.
2: It's the same. It's the same faucet.
3: So you have. Yes. In fact, that's a key thing that uh, one of my mentors, uh, Jack Downing, way back in the early days of my career, um, he was a, a great psychiatrist and teacher around where I was studying at Stanford at the time. And he said that one of the biggest mistakes human beings make is thinking that there are two faucets, one called pain and one called pleasure, and that we're supposed to keep pain turned down and crank up pleasure. He said, but the real issue is there's only one faucet and it says awareness on it. (laughs) And if you open up that faucet, sometimes you're going to get, you know, like we used to own a cabin up in the mountains. And when we'd come back for a while, we'd turn on the water, you know, all this stuff would come out and everything, but then the clear stream would run. Mm, mm. And that's the way it usually works is the more you open up your faucet of awareness, um, you're gonna get all sorts of different things. But what you're going to get is just different expressions of
0: energy. Hmm. That's so good. Thank you. So powerful.
2: How do you go ahead? I wanted to just share with you that um, people may not know back right after we wrote conscious loving. We wrote a book about body energy and about what's going on in the body and body wisdom. That's called at the speed of life. Hmm. And that is still in print. And it has lots of practical uh, choices, but lots of ways for people to both open their awareness, but to enjoy more and more of their body energy and their energy
1: in general.
0: Mm, Thank you.
1: How do your mind and heart work together to bring about a vision of the future?
3: Well, it comes down to that integrity piece. Again, uh, Noel, that, I often tell our students that the most important journey they'll ever make is 12 inches from here to their head, down to their heart. And because in that becomes the possibility of an alignment, you know, our minds are really good at thinking up different creative possibilities, but it's the energy from down underneath there that's going to make it possible for us to bring our vision into reality. So, um, I I think that the moment you get the two working together, that's when you become virtually unstoppable as you harness the power of that mind and undergird it with the power of of energy that comes from knowing what your purpose is Mm -hmm. and being open to being supported and all of those kinds of things that make for a um, more easygoing path through life. So that all has to do with linking up your head and your heart.
2: I was just thinking, too, about how often when I'm working with people, I literally see their head out ahead of the rest of their body. Mm. So you get your head out ahead of your heart. You can make decisions that are really not aligned with what gives you joy and what allows you to uh, really come from a heart space. And um, there's a, a great physicist, David Bohm, who's one of my favorite writers. And his saying, which I really love, is the mind makes up the world and then says, I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and we believe that. We, and so but when we get our heart, when our head is resting on top of heart and we really are heart first rather than head first, I think that really opens up the faucet in a very powerful way.
0: Hmm. That is so good. <laughs> so good. I so appreciate all the wisdom that you've shared today. If if young entrepreneurs are just, you know, you've just had coffee together and you're going to leave them with Gay and Katie's words of wisdom, what would you share?
2: Well, the first thing I would say is when you get in hassle, just notice the drift and make the shift. <laughs> notice the drift and make the shift.
3: I love that. Thank and, you. and love as much as you can from wherever
0: you are. Oh, so good. <laughs> Thank you guys so much.
2: Thank you. Such a pleasure.
0: If you enjoy the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. We have a free gift for you at add value, the number two, entrepreneurs.com. Our Cyber December deals include one hour coaching slots for only $97. That's a 75% savings, and we're launching new Inner Circle Team Coaching in 2022. Applications are open in December at number 2 lifecom In our next episode, Jeremy Williams and I discuss how personal and business development is simple but not easy. He shares the principle he teaches in his new book, Survive, Scale, and Soar, Building the Life and Business You Deserve. Jeremy coaches us to deal with those limiting beliefs that hold us back.